We turn in God's Word this morning to the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. The 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we're going to pick it up at verse 15. And we're going to read through verse 25, although we're considering everything between uh, where we have it at 15 through the end of the chapter, but I'll be reading those other sections later in the message. So rather than reading them now and then reading them again, um, we'll pick it up there as we come to it in the message. So verse 15 through verse 25 this morning. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thus far the reading of God's word for this time. Let's bow in prayer once again. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this word, for the covenant that you have made. For Lord, if you made them, you will keep them. And Lord, may we heed this word of yours to come closer to you, to seek you in all that we do. For Lord, you've paid a great price that our sins may be forgiven. Be with Pastor Bob as he preaches this morning. Bless that word unto our hearts, that we may give you praise and honor. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So we want to look at two things from this passage this morning. First of all, the reminder of the covenant, and secondly, the responsibilities of this covenant. So as we speak about covenant here, as Brother Mark prayed, we're we're speaking of this new covenant now that the author has introduced the new covenant or the new administration of the covenant of grace. It's not a change of the covenant of grace and now we have some different covenant. It's still the covenant of grace. It was administered one way during the time of the patriarchs with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was administered another way as it came to us at Mount Sinai, but now it's administered another way yet. The covenant of grace as fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what the author is now bringing to our attention. He's reminding us of that covenant. 
and of the responsibilities that you and I have in that new covenant. So first of all, he reminds us of that passage from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, that quote, This is the covenant I will make with them in those days. But he reminds us that this new covenant, first of all, is a covenant that is written upon our hearts. Now, if we think about Sinai, Sinai was written on stone, tablets of stone. It was something external, right? It wasn't written on their hearts. There was the law. It was an external tablet upon which God with his own finger had written. This covenant, this new covenant that has been fulfilled in Christ is not written on tablets of stone, but it's the Holy Spirit writing upon our hearts the law, the will, the desire of God. Secondly, he reminds us that in this new covenant, there is forgiveness. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Right? We were there last Lord's Day. We were there thinking of that full cleansing. Chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. Those who are being sanctified, perfected, past sin, God remembers no more. Present sin, God remembers no more. Future sin, God remembers no more. When we are in covenant in Christ, when we are in Christ, see, because God not only makes the covenant, God fulfills the covenant. He fulfilled it in Christ. God is fully faithful to his promise. Why? Because he not only made it, he fulfilled it in Christ. And if we are in Christ, then the covenant is fulfilled and there is no more sin held against us. He remembers Their sins, no more. No more. It's not written down in some book that God's someday going to go back to and say, I remember January 7, 2016. You did this, Bob. He remembers no more. It's gone. In Christ, he remembers our sins no more. Thirdly, That is why, he says in verse 18, there is no longer any offering for sin. Now, he's not talking about Christ. He's talking about those Old Testament sacrifices that came to us at Sinai. That's why they don't need to be fulfilled anymore. That's why they don't need to be done anymore. That's why we don't need any sacrifices anymore. That's why God in 70 AD got rid of the temple, got rid of the altar, Because he didn't want his people offering sacrifices because he had already offered his son. Why would there be a reason to continue to offer sacrifices 
if forgiveness has already been granted past, present, and future? Why would there be a reason to sacrifice if God does not remember our sins against us? What are we sacrificing for then? Why would you need to sacrifice an animal in Jerusalem at the temple when the perfect lamb has already been sacrificed and has fully paid for all of your sins? Why would we need to offer Christ again upon an altar? Was his cross not sufficient? Does he need to die again for my sins of this last week? No. Hebrews 10, 14. He has perfected forever. Past, present, and even my future sin. He remembers no more. There is no need for any more sacrificing to be done for sin. This is the glorious covenant that God has made and God has fulfilled for us in Jesus Christ. Therefore, see verse 19, therefore. See, if that's the truth, if that is the reality, if that is the covenant that we are a part of, that covenant of grace fulfilled in Christ, therefore, there, there, there's an implication to it. I refer to it as responsibilities that you and I have. In, if we're in this covenant, if we're in this covenant relationship with God, this covenant of grace, there are responsibilities. Therefore, what is the therefore? Well, there's a long section in there, right? Therefore, brothers, since we have this, by the new and living way, the curtain is flashed, since we have a great high priest, the actual follow-up to the therefore is this. Therefore, verse 22, let us draw near. See, because of what Christ has done, here's the responsibility. Let us draw near to God. Let's come close to God. So here, here's the picture, right? He, he's... He, he's been using that picture of the tabernacle and temple, that most holy place where the presence, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt between the cherubim. Only the high priest, as I've been telling you over and over, could go in there, only on the Day of Atonement. The people never got to. What the author is saying is this. Remember, the curtain has been torn. There's no barrier anymore for you or for I or for any Jew to enter in to the very presence of God. There's no curtain. There are no doors. There's no exterior wall. Christ has opened the way. Christ has made it possible. For us to actually be in the presence 
of God. They say, well, that's no big deal to me. I, I could care less. Folks, if that's your attitude, I'm going to tell you this. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. If you could care less about being in the presence of God, you're not converted. You don't have faith. If the stuff of this world is more fun and attractive to you and means more to you than being in the presence of God, you're going to hell. Because you're not converted. Don't get me wrong. I didn't say that those who desire that are without sin. I didn't say that. But if you could care less about God's presence and being in the presence of God, that's not the mark of someone who has been born again. The mark of someone who has been born again is that they desire to be in the presence of God. And not just for eternity. Not just as the end goal. Not just as the end game. Not just as the end product. Oh yeah, I want to be in God's presence when I die. I certainly don't want to be in hell. I, I want to be in the glory place. I want to be on the good side. Well, if you want to be on the good side at the end of your life, then you better be desiring the good thing now. What does it mean to draw near to God? What does that phrase mean? It means that we pray. It means that we pray. The way has been opened through the blood of Jesus Christ. And there ought to be a desire, a burning desire within our hearts to pray, to spend time speaking to God. There ought to be a desire to worship God. That's how we draw near here on this side of the grave. The way we we draw near is we come into God's presence in prayer, personally, or as a family. But corporately, we come into God's presence when we come to worship. There ought to be a burning desire to do so. We'll come back to that point, because the author does. Thirdly, how else do we draw near to God? By the sacraments. The sacraments are a means by which we draw near to God. There ought to be a desire in our hearts. To see, to watch, to participate in this beautiful sacrament of baptism. To be a part of, to watch, to see. There ought to be a yearning in our hearts if if we're not allowed yet to participate in that sacrament. To do so. I want to draw near to God. I want to come close to God. And God says, here, I give you the sacrament of baptism. I give you the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. That's a means. I give you worship. Draw near to me. I give you prayer. Draw near to me. That ought to be the desire, the burning passion of our heart. After all, that's what eternity will be. 
being in the presence of God forever and ever, 10,000 years and then forevermore. And the mark of a born again believer is that they don't just desire it at the end of their life. They desire it every day of their life. To draw near to God. The way is open by Jesus' blood to the presence of God and that we might come in full assurance, full confidence. Imagine this message coming to some Old Testament Jew, right? Just imagine this. Let, let's say we're, we're, in, uh, oh, we're in the book of 2 Samuel, right? And, and the message goes out, hey, today all you folks can go in to the most holy place. Do you think they're going to go in there with a lot of assurance? Or based upon past history, are they going to go, I don't know about this. Everybody else who enters in there, and they don't even do it right, and they're allowed to go, but they don't do it right, end up as toasted marshmallows. I'm not sure I want to enter there. I'm a little fearful to enter that place. I'm a little fearful to be in God's presence. I'm a little fearful because I'm not sure my sins are forgiven. If I appear before a holy, righteous God, I'm dead. I'm destroyed. But you and I, as the author says, can enter with full assurance. We can stand in the very presence of God now, at this moment. Because of Christ. He has opened the way. It is Christ's blood. He's the great high priest. The work is finished. The work is accepted. We're allowed in. There's no more barriers. Every believer is allowed into the presence of God. When does the author talk? When's he talking about? Let us draw near on the day of our death to God. No, it's now. Let us draw near now. If we're in this covenant, then let's make use of this covenant. Let's do what the covenant enables us to do, which is to be in the very presence of God. Secondly, verse 23, and... Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The confession of our hope. What does that refer to? Well, the author doesn't spell it out in so many words, but because he associates it, as you continue to read, with the idea of the sprinkling, or excuse me, back in verse 22, the sprinkling of clean our hearts sprinkled clean, our bodies washed with pure water. It probably has something to do with those who came to faith in Christ and were baptized. 
that the church, we know, expected from them a confession or profession of their faith. In its simplest form, it was this. Jesus is Lord. And that says it all. The expression of our hope comes down to those three words. Jesus is Lord. Everything there is to say about the believer's hope comes down to that. Jesus is Lord. That the one sent from heaven, that the one who came from heaven, that the one who lived amongst us, the one who suffered upon that cross, rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven, Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar. Not I. But Jesus. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, without turning. And you see, they had done that in the past. Go with me now down to verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, so they've come to faith, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. See, they didn't waver. In the past, they've held on to this hope of Christ, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. They came to faith. What what do you suppose happened from their fellow Jews? We know the account, right? They faced all sort of ridicule and torture. Think of Saul of Tarshish. Exposed to report, reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. Now listen to this one. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that, you, that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Yet a little while, and the, consume, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and persevere or preserve their souls. We are not of those who shrink back. We are those who stand firm upon the truth without wavering. This hope, Jesus is Lord. We'll never bow our knee to Caesar. We'll never declare the government to be our Lord. We will never bow our knee to the culture 
of the day. We bow to Christ and to Christ only. Jesus is Lord. And the call of the covenant is this. Hold to that confession of great hope today, tomorrow, regardless of what comes, regardless of the difficulty. And if they take away your property, let them take it joyfully for the cause of Christ. Powerful words, are they not? You almost wonder, was he really written, writing to Jews of that day, or is he writing to us? Is he telling us of that which is to come in the days that lie ahead? These last two weeks are any indication the next four years are going to be tough, folks. And you and I need to be reminded of holding unwavering as we have in the past to the glorious hope Jesus is Lord. Two requirements so far. One, let us draw near. Two, we are to hold fast. Three, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are to stir up one another by love. We are to stir one another up by love. We are being tempted. We are being lured these days to stir one another up by violence, by violent protest. I don't see the author telling us to do that. That's not the responsibility of the covenant. The responsibility is to stir one another up by love. Love of God. Love of neighbor. To stir one another up, as he goes on to say, by good works. Good works. What is a good work? That which conforms to the law of God. Because the law is written upon our hearts now. It is that law of love. That which is to love. To love God. To love our neighbor. That which we find in the word of God. This is what we have been taught. This is what is to be upon our hearts so that we live it. This is how we are to live. And that which comes from another side, another part, although it may make some sense, it doesn't come from the Word of God. It isn't truth. It's a lie. We are called to stir one another up by love. 
by good works. By not neglecting the meeting together. The purposeful avoidance of worship. Of educational growth opportunities. The purposeful avoidance. Not talking about people who are ill. Those of you at home. I'm not talking about those who found it difficult to make their way out of their driveway this morning and aren't here. Or those because of health concerns are, not, are at home today. But I fear sometimes that we have become pandemicists. We use it as an excuse. We use it as an excuse to not meet together. And if you're at home today... Because it's just an easy excuse, given what I've said before, it's just an excuse to sit home and not to come to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not stirring one another up. That's discouragement. We are called to meet together. That's not to say there are not legitimate reasons why some of you are home because of COVID. There are. But we all know how some play this game. They can get on an airplane, crowded as crowded can be, sit in an airport as crowded as crowded can be, go on vacation. But no, I can't come to church. Oh, no. Really? Really? I can go to the supermarket and grab all those products that other people have been grabbing and everything else, but I can't sit in a social distancing room. Oh, no. Now, that doesn't mean that those of you who are at home watching, you're concerned about your health because you got health problems, you've got comorbidity, comorbidities, or you come in contact with other people who are, that you're not taking a proper precaution. I'm not speaking of that at all. I am speaking of those who use it as an excuse. But you know, we can use lots of things as an excuse. Oh, I just had such a bad week. Oh, so many bad things happen. I can't go to church today. You know, the Bible tells me in the Psalms that when David had bad days, bad weeks, you know where he went? To the temple. Because it's only here that life begins to make any sense. It's not at home wallowing in your tears. It's here. Don't give up the meeting together. But 
but encourage one another. Encourage. Encouragement isn't just, come on, you can do a little better. Encourage means to make courageous, to make strong, to make bold. Are you making others bold? Are you making others strong in Christ? I'm not talking about being strong and against the government and the governor and all that's been going on. I mean in Christ. Are you making people bold in Christ? Are you making them courageous in Christ? That they desire to tell others of Christ. That they desire to speak of Christ. And that you're encouraging them to live a life of love, a life of good works. That you're encouraging them to be strong and courageous. For the Lord our God is with us. And where does that courage come from? Where does that strength come from? It comes from the fact that before the throne of God, I have a strong and sure, guaranteed plea. Jesus Christ. If it were not for Christ's presence before the throne of God pleading for me, pleading for you, I would not dare to be upon this pulpit today. I would not dare to live as a believer in Jesus Christ in this day. But because I have a sure and perfect plea before the throne of God, that gives courage. That gives strength. That gives hope. How much more so as we see the day approaching. As we see the day of Christ's return. How much more so should we not? I'm sure in the last six, eight months, you have thought or have uttered to somebody else, wow, with all that's going on, I think Christ is about ready to come. How much more as you see the day approaching, does that not fall upon us to stir one another up? To stir one another up. To love. To show love. To demonstrate love in this world of hatred and anger. You want the church to mean something in this society? Don't join in the hate groups. They're everywhere. What the church, what the church needs to do is to show forth the love of Christ. By its good deeds. By continually meeting together and encouraging one another. You need encouragement. I need encouragement. To what? To love. To love. To love. In a day of hatred and bitterness and anger, and rage. Let us be bold enough to love. For Jesus, 
is Lord. Amen? Amen.